Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I think in most uh, literature and certainly most world religions and even in cartoons, we have kind of a, a depiction of Uh, Something that happens inside each one of us, which is that we have this really good side, this noble side of us, the side of us that that wants to do great things and beautiful things and even holy things. Uh, But then there's this other side, and and that side doesn't want to do those things. That's the side that wants to do selfish things, that wants to be assertive and judgmental and hold on to unforgiveness and you name it, greed, lust, envy, pride, anger, unforgiveness, gluttony, the whole span of them. That's the other side of us. And in cartoons, there's a little angel and a little devil, right? But then even in world religions, they have to deal with that. There's these two sides in each of us. The problem of seeing ourselves in these two sides can be really confusing because the question that really haunted me in most of my time in seminary formation is, which one's the real me? What's the deepest truth about you? Is the deepest truth about you that you are selfish and self-assertive and broken and struggling with sin? Or is the deepest truth about you that you're a gift and you're good? It's not that easy because if the deepest truth about us is that we're a gift and we're good, why is it so hard to admit to ourselves and let other people see us when we're broken, when we're sinning? How come all those devices of rationalization and justification kick in in sixth gear when we feel like we're being found out? If that's not the real us, then why do we have to defend it so much or try to hide it with such amount of energy? Or if we're really bad in the end, and that's who we really are, if we really are this broken, broken, selfish creature, why do we long to be loved so deeply? Why do we cherish the idea of being forgiven? If after all, we're just going to do it again because that's who we really are. These are really important questions because they affect not only your sense of self, but they affect your relationships and they affect the way you and I relate to God. See, in the scriptures today, we have some of the most beautiful phrases of all the scriptures. Here's God speaking through Isaiah and he says, Comfort. Give comfort to my people. Speak tenderly. I mean, this this idea that the God of the universe, the cause of the Big Bang, that when he reveals himself, he's asking for us to offer comfort to his people and tenderness. Or how about in in the psalm, we say, Lord, let us see your kindness. Comfort, tenderness, kindness. And then what I think is the most beautiful line in the second reading from St. Peter, we hear, He is patient with you, not wishing that any of you should perish. God's patient with your growth and mine, with your development and mine. These are really beautiful phrases, and when we hear them, 
perhaps that good side of us springs to life. That part of us that wants what is beautiful and wants to be loved and wants tenderness and intimacy, we go, yes, okay, good, God is that. And then we try to just kind of hide away a little bit of that other part. Because if that other part comes out, isn't there a fear that love will go away? It's so beautiful when he wants to give us comfort and tenderness, but isn't it true that if I really sin again, really badly, and go back to my brokenness, isn't he going to withdraw his love? Isn't there going to be another kind of God that shows up and really gets me? That's the big lie. The big lie is that his comfort, patience, kindness, forgiveness, that it's in spite of our sins. It's not in spite of your sin. It's actually how God responds to sin. It's not your broken side that needs to be hidden so that you could be a good boy or girl. It's actually your brokenness being opened to his kindness that helps you realize you're perfectly loved in your imperfections, not in spite of them, right in them. Listen to the phrase again. Comfort, give comfort to my people, speak tenderly, and proclaim to her her guilt is expiated. Her service is at an end. Do you see what he's saying is, my comfort is directed right where she is guilty. She here is Israel, but we could say all of us. God's comfort, his tenderness, his love is offered to you right where you're being selfish. Right where you're a mess. Right where you're doing the sins that are so gross you couldn't even imagine someone next to you in the pew knowing that about you because they wouldn't want to be the person next to you. We go, no, 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 and we, whom, we hide it. And then we think, I'm bad until I go to confession and now I'm good. And then we think, oh, I wonder how long this will last this time. And then, oh, I'm bad again. If I get to confession, then I'm good. And then I get in the parking lot and someone cuts me off, I'm bad again. And what the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are trying to reveal and press upon you is, it's as if they're saying this to you. My kindness and love doesn't waver whether you're being holy or sinful. In fact, in a strange way, you get all the more comfort from God when you have sinned because he knows that it's hurting you. If your inner life was a beautiful symphony, when you sin, all of a sudden it sounds like a fifth grade band warming up. The cacophony of guilt and oh, now justifying and oh, I'm not gonna I'm gonna double down so I can win this little argument, but I feel terrible. It's right there where Jesus is saying, I'm patient with you. I'm in no rush for you to figure it out and get your life together. Now, maybe there's a part of you at this point saying, well, don't you need to say something? Because doesn't that just mean we get to go sin now? <laughs> like, say the thing. <laughs> say the thing that I've said to my kids, because my parents said it to me. How well did it work, by the way? Let 
Let me remind you of the character of the Pharisees in the Scriptures. The Pharisees, most likely by all accounts, had less sinfulness than the apostles. And yet they were the enemies of Jesus. Why? Well, because even though their behavior was good, underneath their behavior was this immense fear and perfectionism. This sense that I am only good and loved if I act good. God might have made a mistake with me, but if I act really good, maybe I can outwork the fact that I'm actually a problem. And so all their religious striving, all their activity was done out of a spirit of fear. I have to be perfect, otherwise I'm bad. What the apostles learned was, God broke into my life while I'm a fisherman. I was out all night with the other fishermen doing all sorts of things. My life's kind of a mess. And the God of the universe showed up and said, would you come spend your life with me? And I'm going to spend my life with you. Here's an analogy. Everyone who's ever gotten, every guy who's ever gotten down on one knee and proposed to a woman to be his wife was saying to this woman, I've seen what's beautiful and wonderful in you, and I know you're not the blessed mother. And yet I want to spend my life with you. That's why wedding vows are the safest place in the world. I now at least have one person who's not going to withdraw, abandon, and run away. They're going to stay in it. It's meant to be a little taste of God becoming flesh and going on the cross for us. He's saying, even when it's hurting me, I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to change my disposition towards you. I created you good. Sin has affected you, so you don't always live up to your goodness. But I'm not going to condemn. I'm going to double down on mercy. I'm going to double down on forgiveness. And when we really recognize that his love isn't going anywhere, we start to recognize what we want to be in our deepest hearts is holy. What we actually want to be is like him. He's loving us so wonderfully, we want to be like that. And now we begin to engage in holy things and prayer and sacrifice and all these wonderful parts of our tradition out of a heart that's free. Not because I have to or else, but, oh, he actually really loves me. And he's given me the great gift of time. He's given me time to grow and to change so that I can become like him. So let me just give a little commercial. Monday nights from 6.30 to 8, we have four priests here for confession. Saturday mornings from 8.30 to 9.30, and Saturday afternoons from 3.30 to 4.30. These are not torture chambers, the confessionals. There are places where as priests, we get to do probably the most beautiful thing we do in our lives. We have people tell us all their brokenness and all the things they've done wrong. And we get to say, and yet Jesus is here to forgive you. And say, let's begin again. Let's not quit. Let's not sideline ourselves. You're good in his eyes and growing. And he believes in us. That's why he gives us the season of Advent to say, I know what you can become. I will not give up on you. I am patient with you. And I can't wait to see what it looks like when you finally accept my love and your life changes. Amen.